Good morning. Can any of you tell me what the number one objection to Christianity is? If you ask a hundred people, why aren't you a Christian? Why don't you believe in Jesus? What do you think the main answer they would give is? Any ideas? Go on. Someone, what did you say? Did you put your hand up? Go on. Because you don't believe, you don't like religion, okay? Any, they might in a, different a different religion. That's true. They might do. They might do. Any other? Why do bad things happen? Why do bad things happen like suffering? It's almost like you read the notes. No <laughs> <laughs> That's right. So it's quite hard to find reliable data on this, but um, it does seem, from experience, from people who have worked in evangelism, apologetics, having asked lots of people this question, that the most common objection that we get tends to be something like. How can a good God allow human suffering? How can a good God allow human suffering? I'm not going to give any easy answers to this question today because there aren't any. I don't think there are any. But it's interesting that the Bible never shies away from talking about suffering. It never treats the problem of suffering as some kind of embarrassing topic that it should avoid or step away from. An awkward question. Just don't mention that. Don't mention suffering. No, the Bible dives headfirst into the problem of suffering right from the outset. In many ways, we can think of the Bible as a book all about suffering. It tells us of a people who were impressed and enslaved for hundreds of years and treated very cruelly. It tells us of a saviour who came from that people who suffered and died for our sins. And today we're looking at a letter to the church in Smyrna and what do we find? Suffering. In the passage we learn the believers in Smyrna were already struggling with poverty and persecution and according to Jesus things were about to get even worse. Christians living today aren't immune to suffering either. In our own church there are people suffering in various ways with physical health issues, relationship problems, mental health struggles, grief, of various kinds. What can we do when we're faced with suffering? Where can we turn? Where can we find hope? Today I'll be sharing three big themes from this passage, three things that we can do when we're faced with suffering. So what's the first thing we can do when we're faced with suffering? If you've got the passage open, have a look with me at verses 8 to 9. And there we read, These are the words of him who is the first and the last, who died and came to life again. I know your afflictions and your poverty. So the first thing we can do when we're faced with suffering is this. We can look to Jesus who knows our suffering. We can look to Jesus who knows our suffering. How do we know that Jesus knows our suffering? Well, there are two ways that the passage shows us this. First of all, he is called the first and the last. The first and the last. Jesus is the eternal God. He is the first, there before the world began, and he is the last, there beyond the end of the world. He knows all things. He knows the end from the beginning. And as the eternal God, he knows our suffering. He understands it perfectly, even before we were born. From our human perspective, it can be hard to understand why we suffer. But God sees things from a greater perspective. 
As the Apostle Paul says at the end of Romans 11, that famous doxology, Oh, the depth of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable his judgments and his paths beyond tracing out. Who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counsellor? Who has ever given to God that God should repay him? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. Think of a character in a great story. From their limited perspective, they don't know why things happen the way they do. They don't understand the significance of each event in that story. From their perspective, things just seem to happen to them. But the author of the story knows. The author has mapped out every detail precisely. They can see how it all fits together in the big picture. That little detail, which doesn't make sense to the character, makes perfect sense to the author because they can see the whole thing. And it's the same, or it's a bit like that, with our suffering. Jesus is the author of the universe, the one through whom all things were made. If we could see from his vantage point, then we could see how our suffering fits into the big story of creation. Now we're not God. We don't have that depth of understanding. But we can trust that Jesus has a good purpose for our suffering. And there's also a second way in which Jesus knows our suffering. Notice the second part of his description. It doesn't just say he's the first and the last. It also says he died and came to life again. You see, Jesus isn't just the eternal God. He also became a man, a human being. He entered into our human experience. He knows personally what it's like to suffer, to be persecuted, even to die. Imagine if the author made themselves a character and entered into their own story. Imagine if they could identify perfectly with the experiences of the other characters. That's a bit like what's happened with Jesus. He entered into our story. He became a human being, just like us, so that he could identify with us. He became like us in every way. He knows our weaknesses and our afflictions, as we read in the the epistle to the Hebrews. Because he himself suffered when he was tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. When we're faced with suffering, we can look to the one who has been there before us, who has suffered just like us in every way. We don't worship a distant God who is indifferent to our suffering, but a God who draws near to us and became like us in every way. And this can be a real encouragement that we can share with others who are suffering. If there's another believer that we know who's going through a hard time, this is something that we can share with them. Of course, we can support them and be there for them in their suffering. But we can also point them to Jesus, to the eternal God who became a man and suffered and died for us. Remind them of the God who draws near and becomes one with us in suffering. And pray with them that they would find comfort and rest in him. Have a look at verse 10, and there you'll see the next thing that we can do when we're faced with the problem of suffering. And there it says, Do not be afraid of what you are about to suffer. 
I tell you, the devil will put some of you in prison to test you, and you will suffer persecution for ten days. Be faithful even to the point of death, and I will give you the crown of life. So here's the next thing that we can do when we're faced with suffering. We can stand firm even when our faith is tested. We can stand firm even when our faith is tested. Life was tough for Christians living in Smyrna. They knew what it was like to be poor, to have people say nasty things about them. You see, Smyrna was an especially patriotic city. It was one of the few cities which had built more than one temple to the emperor. Emperor worship. They were a proud people. And if you refused to make sacrifices to the emperor and participate in their idolatry, if you didn't play along with their religious customs, you were a traitor and an outsider. Might have been a bit like uh, evangelical Christians living in, uh, in Georgia in some ways. Something like that can happen to us as Christians too living in the West. If you don't march with the beat of our culture, people might say nasty things about you. They might call you intolerant, a bigot, a hater. You might even lose out on career opportunities because of your faith. It's happened before. And if you look at verse 9, you'll notice that it wasn't just the regular people of Smyrna being nasty to them. Apparently, they were especially being slandered by those who say they are Jews and are not. Those who say they are Jews and are not. Now, who could that be referring to? Well, I think Jesus here is talking about the Jews who rejected him, who refused to believe in him. You see, Jesus, he is the Messiah, the great king that Israel had longed and hoped for for hundreds and hundreds of years, for thousands of years even, all of their great hopes and desires were fulfilled in him. To reject Jesus when he appeared was to walk away from everything that Judaism was supposed to be about. And according to the passage, they were slandering the believers in Smyrna, saying false things about them to try and get them in trouble with the authorities. Just like the Pharisees and religious teachers had done to Jesus. And so the very same Jesus who called their temple a den of thieves now calls them a synagogue of Satan. And things were about to get even worse for the church in Smyrna. Just like with Jesus, some of these false accusations would have real consequences. According to Jesus, many of them were about to be thrown into prison and tested even to the point of death. Some of them would be tortured, and some of them would be killed. But Jesus tells them to stand firm, to be faithful even when it's hard, even when they felt lost and without hope. How can we be faithful in suffering? How can anyone be faithful in suffering? There's only one way. We have to rely on the Holy Spirit. As the Apostle Paul says in Romans, in the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groans that words cannot express. Even when we're lost for words and don't know what to say, even when we're struggling with weaknesses and doubts, the Spirit is there for us, interceding for us through Jesus he is our great counsellor and friend, the one who comforts us when life is hard. And what's more, the Spirit can use our suffering to build up our faith 
and make us more like Christ. As we read elsewhere in Romans, not only so, but we also rejoice in our sufferings, because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance, character, and character, hope. And hope does not disappoint us, because God has poured out his love into our hearts through the Spirit whom he has given us. Now, Paul isn't saying here that we should be happy about our suffering. He's not saying we rejoice because of our sufferings. We rejoice in our sufferings. But even so, we can find joy in the midst of suffering. And we do this uh, knowing that God is able to use our suffering for good in the long run and through the Spirit whom he has given to us. Of course, there are many places in the world today where Christians are being tortured and killed for their faith, just like the church in Smyrna was. We need to pray for them, that they would be able to stand firm and that the spirit in them would be able to use their suffering to build them up and refine their faith and make them strong in the day of testing. When you pray, Christian, remember the persecuted church. If you look with me at verse 11, at the end of verse 11, the last verse in this very short letter, you'll see there the, the final uh, promise that we have in the passage. He who overcomes will not be hurt at all by the second death. And so another thing that we can do when we're faced with suffering, we can have hope for the life to come. We can have hope for the life to come. What is the second death? It's tempting to think that dying in prison is the worst thing that could happen to anyone. But according to this passage, according to the Bible, there's something far worse than that. Jesus tells us in the Gospel of Matthew, Do not be afraid of those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather be afraid of the one who can destroy both body and soul in hell. You see, there are two deaths. There's the first death, the one that we're all familiar with. But there's also a second death, an eternal death, being under God's judgment forever. The Bible calls this second death hell. But neither the church in Smyrna nor the church in Tilehurst have to fear the second death. Because Jesus has already suffered God's judgment on our behalf. He has passed through death and into immortal life beyond the grave. And now he reigns over all things at the right hand of God, victorious over suffering and over death. And because we're one with Jesus, united with him, we share in his victory over suffering and over death. And at the end of verse 10, there's that amazing promise, be faithful even to the point of death, and I will give you the crown of life. When you're suffering, you can often feel powerless, subject to forces beyond your control. The Christians in Smyrna being lied about and sent to prison probably felt just like that. Imagine that. Imagine being accused of something that you haven't done. Imagine being uh, in trouble with the authorities, shamed and slandered by everyone, knowing that you're innocent and that you haven't done anything wrong. And that sense of powerlessness can make us feel even worse. It can make the suffering even more unbearable. 
But Jesus promises a crown of life. To those who are suffering, he gives them agency. That those who suffer with him will be exalted with him, sharing in his rule and authority over all creation. That the weak and the powerless will one day wear a crown that is greater than that worn by any king or queen or prime minister that the world has ever known. Although we are poor, yet we are rich in Christ. And when Jesus comes again, he will make all things new. He'll bring an end to all suffering and we'll dwell in the loving presence of God forever. As uh, those famous verses right at the end of the book of Revelation, which I'm going to read now, which you've heard probably many times, but I'm going to read them again. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Now the dwelling of God is with men and he will live with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. Imagine that. You're a Christian living in Smyrna and you're stuck in prison knowing that this day could be your last. But you know there's a day coming in the future when all suffering, all crying, all pain will be gone. And we will live forever in the presence of God, Father, Son and Holy Spirit. That's the ultimate hope in times of suffering. This is the hope which the apostles preached. The good news of resurrection and eternal joy in the presence of God. We need to share this hope with others. Maybe there's someone you know who's going through a really rough time right now. Maybe someone who's not a Christian and they're really suffering at the moment. Now obviously we should support them and be there for them. But this could also be the perfect time to share the hope that we have in Christ with them. That if they trust in Jesus, if they follow him, they can have a share in this future. A world without suffering, where the loving presence of God will be our highest joy. And the question of suffering will fade away forever. Consider who you might bless with this message of hope in the coming week. Let's think back again to that popular objection to Christianity. How can a good God allow human suffering? People who raise this objection, have they found the answer? Have they solved the deep problem of human suffering? I doubt it. But in Christ, we do have a hope. We don't have all the answers, but we have a hope. Because we don't worship a distant God, but one who draws near to us, entering into our humanity, our suffering and our pain. We have a spirit within us who comforts us in our suffering, who refines our faith, and draws us to Christ. And we have a hope that one day when Jesus returns, all sorrow and sadness will pass away forever. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, thank you that you are not an indifferent, stoic God, an unmoved mover who just hangs around in the distance, watching over human beings, but never interacting or never drawing near to us. No, you're nothing like that. You are the God who draws near to his people, who comforts us, who is one with us. 
Thank you, Lord and Father God, that you sent your son Jesus to become a human being, to be just like us in every way, to suffer with us and to die for us, to take our sin upon himself so that we might be forgiven and enjoy your spiritual riches. Thank you for sending the Holy Spirit, Lord, who lives with us in our hearts, who is our great counsellor and comforter, who brings us peace even in times of darkness and who refines our faith and builds us up even when outwardly we are feeling weak, Lord, the Spirit is always with us. And Lord, thank you that there is this great promise that one day you will make all things new. And suffering and crying and pain and mourning and sadness will all be things of the past, Lord, and will be remembered no more. In the blessed name of the Father, Son and Holy Spirit, we pray. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Amen. Amen.